Thank you for tuning in. And welcome to possibly your first introduction into a whole new category of human, the native digital. The first generation to grow up with the machines and for whom their digital experience is as or more powerful and credible than their experiences in the RL, what we as native analogs term real life. And it's not going to change anytime soon. Our guest today on the podcast is Hannah Grady-Williams, founder of Overture Consulting, author of A Leader's Guide to Unlocking Gen Z, and a Gen Z CEO advisor. And she's impressive. Our focus is on Gen Z, the generation born between 1995 and 2012. These are those in our firms with less than one to five years of experience and those who will be entering the workforce over the next 10 plus years, our future. There's so much to share and unpack. And although we just got to half the material during this talk, what Hannah does share in a very candid and very Gen Z way gets us into the headspace and outlines many of the have to haves of our future that will both surprise and move us. Because doing different is a must if we want to attract, engage, develop, and retain this very different generation. So without any further delay, let's do it. Welcome to AEC Leadership Today, the podcast designed exclusively for engineering, architecture, and construction industry leaders who want to stay relevant and effective. The show takes on the most pressing issues facing the AEC industry and was created to help you and your firm grow and prosper in the 21st century. The host of AEC Leadership Today is Pete Atherton, a professional engineer and former AEC principal and owner turned AEC coach and consultant. And now, take a break from your never-ending to-do list and welcome Peter Atherton. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another great episode of AEC Leadership Today. Today, we'll be speaking with Hannah Grady-Williams, founder of Overture Consulting, author of A Leader's Guide to Unlocking Gen Z, and a person fast becoming known as the Gen Z CEO advisor. And we'll be talking about, of course, Gen Z, and specifically how best to attract, engage, retain, and unlock all the potential this new generation offers. Welcome to the podcast, Hannah. Thanks, Pete. I am happy to be here, excited to, to talk about my, my uh, heart of heart and passion of passions, <laughs> my, my generation. Well, there's so much I want to talk to you about, and I absolutely loved your book, but I'm thinking the best place to start is just to learn a little bit about you, your background, um, what you do, and why you wrote the book. Yeah, I, I'm happy to share that, but first I have to say, the fact that you read my book while in Key West is a testament to you. <laughs> it, is, it is not a short book. We will say that. It's, it's very tactical, but it is not a short book, so I applaud you. <laughs> well, actually, when I opened the package, I was like, that's a little thicker than I thought, but it was a great read. <laughs> I'm so, so, so glad. Yeah. So, um, yes, let's, so my story, um, I, I can go back to the beginning, but I'm right now, I just turned 24. So I am a native digital myself, a Gen Zer, and I wrote a, a very analog book, but I'm glad I did it. It was a good project for me. So going back to the beginning of my story and tell you a little bit about me, my, I, I really consider the beginning of where I started in business when I was 12 with this singular experience that my dad gave me out of the blue. And it goes like this. I 
was sitting in the back of my dad's blue Chevy pickup truck and we're bouncing down the highway, trying to get, you know, to different houses. My dad was a real estate investor and he still is. He had owned his company for about 10 years at this point. So we're going down the highway, collecting rents from tenants. And I used to go to work with him, you know, one or so days a week. I am the oldest of seven children. And my parents really wanted me to start in the family business when I was very young. So I was going to him, going to work with him. And I'm again, sitting in the back of the truck with my homework. Well, my dad, I don't know what it was about this particular day, but he had this idea in mind that he was going to get me involved. So he hands me his cell phone out of the blue and he goes, Hey, Hannah, the phone's ringing. And there's a guy at the end of the line who wants to sell his house and you're going to close the deal. And I just remember, I mean, if you can imagine 12 year old middle school, me was freaked out of my mind. <laughs> like what, what does my dad think he's doing? Handing me probably the one business development opportunity that's going to come in this week. I mean, you, you may, may be very familiar with Asheville, but anyone who's been to Asheville knows we're not one of those suburban areas with, you know, hundreds of cookie cutter houses side by side. We we're a mountainous region and it's very boutique and it's very, you know, the, the homes here are few and far between. So when a business development opportunity came for someone to sell a house, that was not something that was flooding in a hundred times a day. So as this story goes, and as my, my experience goes, I took the phone from my dad, looked at him with a, a, just a completely clouded over gaze. Like, what do you think you're doing? But I took the phone, I trusted him and ended up talking to this guy. And sure enough, we got the property under contract a couple of days later and closed on the property. And I can still drive by that duplex we bought because my dad still owns it and look back 12 years ago, half of my life ago at this moment that really changed the course of how my life's trajectory went. So that was like the beginning of, of my story. And now here I am, as you mentioned, I'm the Gen Z CEO advisor, and I work with companies of all different industries and backgrounds to make Gen Z their Gen Z talent specifically their competitive advantage. So I work with firms to help them recruit and retain and engage native native digitals, or as a lot of people call them, aliens, <laughs> the the alien generation. That's hard to understand. Um, and and yes, I absolutely adore the work I get to do every day. And and your book provides more context for why at twelve years old your dad handed you that phone, which I think is fascinating. And your background is you graduated college also at. 18, the same time you graduated high school, and you've been working for, you know, multiple years, you know, over five years, six years, and multiple business ventures. And so, but but over the course of the last year, I mean, what, what prompted you to write this book and sort of start consulting with firms? I mean, we'll get that background, and then I want to dive into some of the specifics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So here, I, I'm 24 now, but at 18, like you mentioned, I graduated college and was instantly... I started my first job. I got thrust into corporate America. And what happened, Pete, and I know you're, you're in AEC world. I come from that world as well. My first job out of college was working with a wonderful company in luxury hospitality, but I worked for a division of the company. It was very similar to Disney Institute. So I was one of the facilitators and instructors as well as worked on the business development. 
And I found myself at 18 traveling around the country, working with leaders who were much older than me on how, essentially helping their businesses to engage employees and to provide more, you know, more customer experiences that would help their brands grow and them attract and retain uh, customers. And so what, what inevitably would happen, and you know this from the conference circuit that we were both a part of, but inevitably what would happen is I'd get to a conference and at the end of a long day of training, I'd find myself seated at the bar usually with a bunch of older people than me naturally, because I was 18 at the time. And I'd be sitting there with my little sparkling water talking with CEOs who were in their 60s. Maybe they own engineering firms or financial services companies or whatever the case might be. And I'd have my little sparkling water and I'd be chatting with them. And inevitably, they would ask me how old I was. That was a question I got all the time. And, you know, usually I'd say, oh, you know, yes, I'm probably younger than you think. And I got all sorts of guesses, you know, 25, 28, 30. Well, when I told them I was 18, of course, that's a shock. But then secondly, they'd start, you know, I'd see their eyes widen and they would ask me, oh my gosh, what's wrong with you millennials? So that was the, the other question I would get. So I went home from these conferences over the course of three to five years. And I started doing some research on these questions I was getting, like, why does my new millennial hire, my new millennial engineer, for example, why does he think he can get six months of paternity leave the second he starts at my firm? Or why does my new gen, my new you know, millennial hire think that they're going to get a promotion just a couple months after they're here with me? But what I found is a lot of those questions didn't resonate with what I experienced at work and what my other 18 to 23-ish year old colleagues experienced. So it led me down this path of researching and talking with other people from my generation to understand what do we want out of work. And it very quickly became apparent to me that Gen Zers, as I found out I was, I didn't know there was a label at the time. But I found out I'm a Gen Zer and I want very different things out of work than my millennial peers did. And there's a couple main distinctions I'm sure you'll want to get into. But if you think about the this Generation Z, there's you know a couple of things that stand out about our generation and what we want out of work, what we want out of uh, businesses in general that market to us. So that led me on a path to researching you know my generation and the cumulative project that came as a result of that was my book, which um, is a leader's guide to unlocking Gen Z. And, and in the book, as I know you found reading it, I talk to folks from the native analog generation. So I don't interview in the book, I didn't interview Gen Zers, because what I thought was a much more valuable perspective as I was researching my own generation was to find the misconceptions that other generations held about us and why they designed their businesses, their engagement strategy, their recruiting strategy around those misconceptions about what my generation wants out of work. And so, well, no, okay, go ahead. Finish. Okay, well, I wanted, I mean, you, there's a couple of things and I think this is <clears throat> naturally, so I wanted to, die, I, I did want to ask you about the differences between Gen Zs and millennials because we have learned 
to some degree. We've talked a lot about millennials. I don't know if we fully understood, but you know, there's certainly there's another generation now that's coming in that we need to to, all, to fully understand and act on. But before we did that, you mentioned you know native digitals versus native analogs as a context, um, so we can kind of get into this conversation. How do you define or what is a native digital versus a native analog and, and what does that mean for us in a, in a work context? And then at that point, we'll kind of dive into Z, Gen Z. Yeah. So native digitals are anyone under age 30 and native analogs would be anyone over age 35-ish. There's, you know, there's a gap in there about five years. You could kind of fit on either side. But the, the main reason I distinguish the two categories this way versus just, you know, Gen Z and millennials is you have this dividing point within these two distinct uh, groups of people where you have a generation, the native digitals, who are the first generation in the history of humankind that is fully integrated with machines. And then you have the native analog generation, which is, as I hate to say it, but it's a dying breed. You know, I mean, you have, it's just a, a matter of time and, and nature. You have the native analogs, you have the native digitals. And what most companies and leaders actually, not just companies and leaders, but people in any sphere of power, whether it's political or economic or social, what they haven't recognized to this point is that this generation, these native digitals, are not just another generation. We're actually a new category of human. We're a new category of human because the way that we approach everything in life, the way we work, think, and play, is we actually start from a different point than people who think from an analog perspective. And there's so many ways this plays out, but essentially what you have is an entire generation as we've grown up fully integrated with machines that not only have a different vantage point, but we start thinking from a different perspective. So, and, and I know, I'm sure you'll want to get into some of, some of how this plays out, but this impacts how, you know, companies market to us, impacts what we want out of work. It impacts how we define success and fulfillment in life. There's, there's so many ways, but does that answer your question? It does. And, and just one little nuance on that though, although it is a, a very different generation, um, categorically a different generation because sort of been raised with the machine, so to speak, you're still very human. And, and what came out of your book, and maybe you could talk about a little bit is there's still the, you know, we understand, we think differently, we were raised differently and we, you know, and approach things differently, but we're very much human in that we're craving face-to-face -face contact. Although the fate, what, how we define face-to-face -face might be different, but can you speak Absolutely. a little bit about the human aspect of this new generation? For sure. And this is something that so many parents, leaders, and teachers miss. So let's give some context to this. So when you think of, say, a 15-year-old right now, what is the first image to come to, that comes to mind when I say there's a 15-year-old kid who's in front of me? Oh, it's somebody pro, you know, gaming on their phone or on the phone, like that, <laughs> yeah. that type of thing. Yeah, I mean, that's that is the natural assumption, right? It's it's that every kid nowadays is constantly on their phones. And while that's true, the underlying assumption when most native analogs make that statement of that those kids they're just all on their phones, you know, blah 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 whatever they want to say about those kids, 
What they're missing is that technology for us is not just a distraction from reality. It is our primary reality. And because of that, because to me, a cell phone is literally as important to me as my sense of smell, my sense of sight, and my limbs, because it's so integral to how I function, an entire generation that is completely integrated with machines and technology is one that also craves being away from technology. And this is what I talk about extensively in my book is the natural assumptions that we all make as leaders, parents, educators, business owners, is that if we're going to attract or retain or recruit the next generation, that means, oh, you know, Bob, we got to get our social media strategy together. Or, oh, we, you know, we got to have the newest, latest technologies. And while that's true to some extent, what most leaders miss is how critical it is to recognize that the as technology and our penetration of technology and the and the pace of change grows, the more the native digital generation wants to pull away from it. So you have an entire generation who we, we function with probably 25 to 30 apps open at the same time that we're toggling in between and playing games on one and messaging friends on three different platforms and, you know, looking up the recipe for what we're going to make for dinner on another one. While we're doing all those things at the same time, if a manager wants to connect with us intimately and meaningfully, please don't text us. <laughs> please ask to jump onto a meeting or meet for coffee in person. So, but to answer your question about what face-to-face communication is for us. So right now you're in Knoxville, right? And I'm right. in Asheville. We're, we're not sitting in the same living space or studio, right? This to me is face-to-face communication. This, this is as meaningful as if you were sitting right here in my studio with me, because to me, the, I don't see any distinction between other than of course, the fact that you're not physically here and I can't physically touch you. The fact that we're here having this conversation is just as meaningful as if we were in person. And I know most native analogs could not say the same. Right. And that's going to dive into some of the sort of a, how do we train and how do we collaborate a little, you know, differently or what's meaningful. I, I did want to, you know, I, I, there's, there's a number of things that pop out to me in your book that I wanted to get your, your take on, um, or for you to like fully, um, flesh, flesh out. One of the things, just what you talked about less than, you know, under 30, which is a mix of Gen Z and millennials. Could you, you know, are there based on your experience and your research, what are some of the distinctions that you see between those say 25 and under, which might be the Gen Zs versus 25 to 30, which might be the younger millennials who are also native digitals? Sure. Yeah. There, there's several main distinctions that I came across in my research and really what's interesting. And Pete, you should, you know, this after, you know, doing your studies and research that you've done is sometimes the data is there and it surprises you for a second, but then you start talking with more and more CEOs and leaders and you, you find out, oh my gosh, this is, this is what these C- these CEOs or leaders are actually experiencing in their businesses. And that's kind of what's happened since I worked for years to research this, you know, the differences between my generation and the, the misnomers I was hearing about millennials 
But when the data came to life, and you know, now I talk with dozens of CEOs on a weekly basis who are saying, you know, well, how do I change my business for Gen Z? Or how do I make sure that my recruiters are actually recruiting in a way that speaks to Gen Z and you know, all these things. But what's interesting is that as as uh, as leaders, these common misconceptions about millennials, for example, of being the job hopping generation, you know, millennials being the ones who wanted to get a new position every couple of years. And data suggests that a millennial, by the time they were 30, held an average of seven to 10 positions, which is kind of crazy. It's It's a new one on average every year after college. So then you have Gen Z, who a defining characteristic of our generation is the need for stability versus job hopping. And that's, you know, just one thing. I mean, if you think about my generation, anybody under age 25-ish, we've already been through two economic recessions in our lifetime. It's very similar to what, say, the silent generation went through, you know, decades ago. So my generation versus being this, this job hopping generation, we actually say, now we'll have to see what happens in the next few years, but we say we want to stay with a company for seven to 10 years or more because the ability to have a, a stable job and a stable income is more important to us than things like work-life balance, for example, which was a, a trend that was, you know, of course, very much started and emphasized by millennials. And so even just that one distinction has so many business owners or HR directors reeling <laughs> going, oh my gosh, we just spent all this time building, you know, work-life balance or, or healthy life balance programs. And now suddenly you have a generation coming in that's saying, actually, I'd prefer stability in my work and a higher paycheck and get rid of those benefits. So there's, you know, there's some interesting, some interesting differences there, but just to take this concept of stability, you have a generation who is so prone to things falling apart in our lives, whether it's watching our parents lose their jobs during COVID or graduating college right in the middle of last year, when I had friends getting turned down for grocery stocking positions with bachelor's degrees. That sort of, of instability has led to a generation that says, if your company culture is in alignment with what I want out of work, and if my management supports me, and if I you know, have a great relationship with my manager, I want to stay with you long-term. And that's not something millennials ever said, <laughs> at least in terms of the, the whole generation, um, you know, if you pull the whole generation. Right. And that's going to tie into my next, what, what popped out. It, and so how do we sort of attract, engage and retain and to, you know, uh, be able to sort of tie into our values. And, but what the, the idea that you threw out, and that's the first time I've ever heard it is um, a narcissist story that in order to sort of attract um, Gen Z, we have to understand what a narcissist story is. And can you explain what that is and how it can be used by organizations to attract, engage, and retain Gen sure. Z talent? 
Yes, we can talk about the narcissist story, but I do want to make one important point right here coming from my experience with AEC specifically, um, because this is this is so crucial, I think, for, for business owners, especially in professional services to hear. And, you know, I, I work with a, with a number of professional services organizations now, and they're changing their perspective on this, which I think is so important. But one thing I hear consistently from leaders is specifically in professional services is the idea that because human capital, that talent is so critical to the actual output, the actual bottom line of the business, unlike, you know, say a fast food company where the same, anybody in that position could provide the same output, right? I mean, you can, you could train anybody to flip hamburgers, but you have, you have an industry obviously where the skill level required for the business to succeed is very much based around the individual employees and individual relationships they have, right? I mean, your, your sales are directly correlated with the relationships that your engineers, your architects have. So what I hear from leaders all the time is when it comes to native digitals, specifically speaking about people under age 30-ish, is we'll hire them in a few years. That's the, the statement I get from so many leaders. They say, we'll let some other company take on that talent for a couple years, work out that, you know, those problems that they, that they have, help them, you know, get, get some real world perspective, and then we'll hire them after some other companies kind of tampered down whatever expectations those, those kids had about, you know, whether it's benefits or, um, you know, what to expect out of work. And I really want to press this home because that perspective is so backwards, so 100% backwards. So my question to leaders about Native Digitals is this. Why, when you spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on training and developing your people, why would you not want to be the first company who gets to instill your culture and values in an employee from the beginning before another company has had the opportunity to taint what taint and shape what those values are? Why would you not want to be the first company who takes raw talent and, and shapes them into something that your company can benefit from as, as just an employer, even eventually as a leader or a partner or a principal, why would you not want that to, to have an opportunity to shape them? So they, they're, second, you're saying it's, it, it's, it's, this is the opportunity to impress, impress on this next generation. Here's how we do business. Here's, you know, how you can be successful here and, and the generation's open to it. 100% that. And the second part of this is, and I, and I, in my podcast, the whole purpose of my podcast as well, that I just launched um, a couple of weeks ago is this idea. When we talk about the two distinct categories of human, that any company or firm that hasn't recognized the fundamental shift from analog to digital is already a dead man walking. They're already a company that has not fully embraced the, the business of now and of the future. And so if you have the opportunity to hire 22, 23, 24 year olds 
out of school or even better, you're a firm who's forward thinking enough to build an apprenticeship program, which is actually what I'm working on with a, with a wonderful firm in professional services right now is building out an apprenticeship program that instead of having their employees um, go to a four-year school and then come work for them, they're actually becoming the four-year school. They're hiring directly out of high school and picking the best and brightest talent, getting those high salary seeking native digitals in their workforce at age 17 or 18, grooming them into their culture and providing them with an education and apprenticeship that gets, gets that native digital six figure salary when they're 22 years old and all their peers are graduating from college with a hundred thousand dollars of debt. So the point being, why would you not want to be a company that's solving the talent challenges that we're having right now in this economy by not only recognizing that this is a distinct opportunity for competitive advantage by hiring best and brightest talent before another company snaps them up, but secondly, has the opportunity to shape the values and perspectives of that young person, as well as understand the value and perspective they can bring at their, their bright, fresh eyes can bring to your firm. Why not do that right now instead of waiting five, six, seven years for some other company to snap them up first? Right. And I, and I see that, you know, in various degrees. And I mean, a lot of the firms that I'm working with are, are I'd say they're, they're pretty progressive minded and trying to, you know, in, hire right out of school. But then how do I get them really engaged in growing and developing and wanting to be here? And sometimes we're fighting the, well, if they're just going to leave in a couple of years, how much should I really invest in them now? And how do I really, you know, engage them and get them to want to be here, get them to learn us, get them, you know, maybe even to help, you know, share those fresh eyes and, and help make our processes and systems better. And, and so you, you shared in the book, that one of the, the fundamental shifts is, you know, there was for older generations, you know, work was our identity, or it certainly became our focal point and maybe turned into our identity. But, but for Gen Z, um, it's really a piece of the puzzle. It's something but it, but that puzzle is a story and it is how they see themselves. And that's why I was, when I was reading your book, I was thinking, I love the concept of the narcissist story because this is how we as employers, as leaders, as managers could, could if we can tap into that story, we will have so much more opportunity to get the best and unlock that talent. And so in that context, I mean, what, what, what should leaders know about a narcissist story? Yeah. Yeah. The, the narcissist story is a, as a concept that I had to come up with to try to put into a very simple term, how my entire generation approaches life. And you're right. It, the, the first approach of a native digital in terms of life, work, family, values, we start from a very different point than the native analogs would have started. So the, way to, the best way to depict the narcissist story is, it is a, it's a combination of narcissism and a personal story or personal brand. And essentially Gen Z, if you think about this in terms of a diagram, our narcissist story is a center of a, of, a, of a puzzle. And then you have these little offshoots, like these little bubbles that shoot around the narcissist story. And these little bubbles might be things like our work or the brands we associate, associate ourselves with 
or our friends or the colors that are part of our personal brands. All of those factors make up the narcissist story. Gen Z is a very individualistic generation, much like Gen X. We we're very uh, we we focus on the individual over the group or over the team in a lot of cases. And the narcissist story is a powerful example of this. Essentially, we live our entire lives thinking, how does every action I take or every job or position I take on or every piece of clothing I choose to buy, how does that fit into the brand I want to portray to other people? So if you, for example, in, in trying to drill this down to something, again, translating what, it, what a native analog might see online. So so when you look at, say, for example, the Instagram account of a 16, 17, or 18-year-old, some of the things you'll probably notice, and you can do this, anybody who's listening during the podcast or, or look at this afterwards, whatever is works for you, but look on their Instagram profile. And if you, if you follow someone, maybe it's a kid, a grandchild, a, a cousin, whomever it is, watch the types of posts that they make watch the colors they use and watch the tone that they use on those posts. And what you'll consistently find is that for most Gen Zers, they're going to use certain filters on all of their Instagram posts that resonate with who they are as a person or as a brand. They might choose this. This is actually a very Gen Z thing to use. Most Gen Zers don't post a lot of pictures on their actual Instagram. They use stories because Gen Z prefers for our, the content we put out there to go away. We prefer it to be gone after 24 hours versus being static and, and staying out there for the world to see. So you, if you look at, if you just take it five Gen Zers, you know, or follow, look at the type of content they put out there and you'll start to see some trends. Now, the way this relates to work, though, to, to pull this home, is that Gen Z, because we're living out of our narcissist story, any association, which includes your company, if we work for your company, has an impact on that brand we're trying to portray. So if your company is not one that we're proud of portraying as part of our narcissist story, you're not going to be part of our narcissist story for very long. If your brand is dusty or when we Google you, all that comes up is, you know, a website with some bios of your, you know, leadership on it. That's not very attractive to us. And we're not going to, we're, we're going to come to work for your company without a stronger buy-in that's going to help us stay there a long time. So think if you could put yourself in the mind of a native digital for a second, think about if you were making decisions all around the reputation of your online brand, what, how would your decision-making change? If everything, if every choice you made in life ultimately resulted in what other people would see or portray of you online, would that change where you worked, how you live life, what types of clothing you chose to wear, what types of people or brands you choose to associate with? And that's how a native digital thinks. Right. And I think that, and, and that you've mentioned values a couple of times, like I could say with you, you know, seven to 10 years or, or longer, if our values align and if our, or if our values align, then, and this is a place I want to be, well, that's part of, that might be part of my story that might be, you know, and I want to be able to share and convey that. 
in your book, you talked about a statistic of, you know, 70%, 77% of Gen Zers prioritize employers whose values are aligned with their own. And you talked about in terms of Gen Z, the trinity of values, you know, you know, ethics and authenticity slash transparency and diversity. Could you unpack the what how big the values conversation is and maybe a little bit about the Trinity that would be great for leaders to just better understand trying to attract and engage sure. this new generation? Well, I'll give you an example. So I just got off the phone actually before we we jumped on this this recording with um, a brand that I'll be working with soon, but they are in professional services. And I was having a conversation with the CEO. And during the course of this conversation, it was about 90 minutes. We were, we were on the phone for quite, for quite some time. And he was sharing with me his absolute passion for you know, social justice and for using what his organization is doing to defend criminal rights and protect, you know, our military and, and all of these things. Well, I went on his website, you know, of course, in preparation for this conversation, I'm looking around, looking at social media, looking at media, looking at PR. I saw nothing about that. You know, everything was super corporate jumble, super cor corporate lingo, etc. Now, as a native digital who sees an online brand of whether it's a person or a company as more credible than even them when I'm sitting in the room with them, I see their, their brand as kind of a halo over, over their entire um, head and, and what they're trying to portray. As someone who sees the world that way, when he started talking about all these causes he was passionate about, my first thought was, why the heck is this nowhere on your personal brand? Why is your organization not actively sponsoring and, and donating to organizations that fit this mold? Why, why are you not putting this socially forward brand and mission at the front and center of every th single thing that you do? You would have Gen Zers rallying around your company because because as a whole, we think about the world as, you know, we think socially forward organizations are going to make the biggest impact. And those are the organizations we want to be aligned with. So to, to give you that example and to answer your question directly, when we talk about values as Gen Zers, this doesn't all have to be, you know, every organization has to be doing something about climate change or saving animals. Like We're not talking about just socially forward things. What I'm talking about is we as a, as a generation align ourselves with companies and with brands who are doing something great that pertains to a personal connection we have with that, with, with, the, with ourselves, you know, with our own personal journey. So 77% of us are choosing who we work for as it relates to our own personal value set. And that could be something as simple, and I, I give examples in the book, but it could be something as simple as, you know, I, I've, I'm a woman who has struggled with acne in the past, or that was like a, a part of something that defined, um, you know, how I saw myself. And I want to work with a brand or be employed by a brand that's helping women solve that problem. It could be something as subtly connecting as that that all is a universal thing that many women and men struggle with. The point being, just as you would market to a consumer, 
you also have to market to your employees the same way because those pain points, that brand identity is what will deeply resonate with your potential Gen Z applicants. And they're going to come into your interviews more bought into what you do than if you just have corporate lingo and, you know, a very corporate dusty looking face online. And that, and so, I mean, that's just the mindset of thinking about brands and experiences and how people will experience us from the outside, not just how we experience things looking at the phone book or, you know I mean? It's a whole different world right now. A phone um, book? Or, Wait, what, what is that? <laughs> you know, so our, our first, you know, either we, we send in the resume and, you know, our interview really starts when we show up and meet in a room. Like it, it, the interview process is starting or that even kicking the tires on whether I even want to be interviewed is, is starting so much earlier. One of the, the things that, um, you know, the, with this authenticity piece um, and transparency, what, what, what is your thought from a generational perspective on, you know, firms are working harder at, in general, developing mission, vision, and values. And in at a core level, I think they want to, they, they want to express everything in mission, vision, values. And in this particular industry, there are really just good people. I mean, sometimes we're really busy and we get sidetracked. We just haven't thought about that. And because we're, and so busy and consumed, but let's say, you know, I, I put it out there, mission, vision, values, but our maybe lip service is a strong word, but our, certainly our actions aren't following suit. What do you, you mentioned sort of the smell of in thought, inauthenticity is just picked up right away. Um, or, you know, what, what do you, from your perspective, if you say something, but aren't doing it, what does that mean from your perspective? This is this, this happens on so many levels, Pete. So there's like, there's the big organizational or brand level we can look at, but I'm going to take this a little bit more personal and in depth. So you could say inauthenticity is happening at the level of, you know, I don't, corporate ways that way that companies portray themselves in the media, for example. And that's, that's a, a huge area that Gen Z is shooting arrows at, and we're not going to put up with inauthenticity or lack of transparency there. But if you talk about it, this at an organizational level or even an interview level, and some of these things I, I may get arrows shot at me for, but one of the one of the main areas that Gen Z points to is pay transparency. So for example, Gen Z wants to know what the CEO makes. Now, when I tell CEOs that, they go, oh my gosh, like I, I could never ever tell my staff what I make. Like, you know, that that's just not gonna happen. And I have to ask them this question. So if you're flying your private jet around, you know, the, to different conferences, or they see you attending three, four, five training events a year in nice hotels and whatever, they're making assumptions about what you make. They're already making those assumptions. They're already, you know, correlating it in their heads with, well, you know, he, the firm has this much in revenue, you know, we get paid X, Y, Z, there's a hundred employees or, or whatnot. Like we're already correlating. We're already making those, those guesses in our head. So as one example of transparency, what if you as a CEO or, or the firm owner or whatever the case might be, the principal what if you came out and said, this is what I made this year, but say this was back in 2020 and you, and you tell your staff, but this year I'm reducing my salary by X amount because 
I know what we're struggling with with the pandemic, and I want to give each of you the opportunity to keep your jobs. Um, here's here's transparently the the firm wide budget cuts that we're going through right now to to help you retain you know your jobs because I want to I want to be that leader who can continue employing you and providing a stable income for your families. What if instead of hiding all of that information about pay, not just at the top level but throughout the organization? What if, what if instead it was out in the open for everyone to see and you could use it as a tool to have better conversations with your staff about how you're wisely making and spending money? That's the type, and again, this, I know this is extremely controversial and, and most companies will not do this, but for the companies who do this sort of thing, and I'm sure many of you listening have watched CEOs on LinkedIn publicly announce here is the salary I was making, and then here's what I chose to do during a time of hardship, or or I chose to give X percent of it percent of it to you know a fund to help the, the my former employees keep their homes, or whatever the case might be. Those posts absolutely blew themselves out of the water because people rally behind that sort of decision making, and Gen Z has only amplified that, and we're asking to be a part of those decisions and understand how pay works and what we need to do to get a raise. All, and this is just one example, but this idea of transparency, absolute transparency is something you're going to see Gen Z demanding more and more, or they're just going to leave it, you know, leave the company and go start their own business because it's, it's, you know, easy to do in a lot of senses um, these days. Um, So, you, you know, leaders have a choice is basically what the, the summation of this and transparency is the starting point that, uh, that Gen Z is looking for. Right. And, and it could be, and I'm making a lot of money, which could be a very attractive to a Gen 100%. Z because, you know, it's like, Hey, wow, they're successful. They must be really successful. I want to be like, how do I get to be that successful? So, because money is, is, is a thing that's wanted. I mean, it's desirable. It's not, yes. there's no shame in that. And so I, you know, and there is, there's a move towards more open book management and, you know, firms are on different ledge of the edge of the spectrum. But the, the takeaway is it's an expectation of this new generation coming in and information has been commoditized. I want to know what it means in LinkedIn. You can find out what comparable people are making in this glass door and that you almost have it. And it's from what I gathered from your book and talking to other Gen Z's is if you, I can get it anyway. And if you don't tell me that tells me something, well, maybe you're trying to hide something. And so I, I guess the, 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 yes. my thought here is like it, it, transparency is a value. And being authentic about it. And we just want to know because maybe we just want to get there faster and respect you for that. And we want our leaders to be the ones, like you said, being the ones to tell us before we Google it, before another company comes in and takes over and tells us anyway, like Glassdoor, like LinkedIn. I mean, this applied to, for example, what Zillow did by completely displacing agents last year. I mean, whoever thought we wouldn't have such a thing as real estate agents, and but that's where that company is headed because they've recognized if I just put power into the hands of the consumer through technology and artificial intelligence, then you know that's going to lead every customer to us before they pay an agent a commission. And the same thing happens in every other consumer segment, in every employment segment. We're just going to watch the, the the consumer market lead things. And, and I would I would 
say this in a in the kindest way possible, but to every leader who listens to me talk or or even knows about you know the fact that Native Digital is our new category of human, if you want to be a company that survives in 15 years and that thrives and that has the best talent working for you toward your goals, you've got to realize that you you can't just wait for the market to re- you can't just react like wait for the market to move and then react to it you got to be on the front end of proactively saying what is this generation going to want out of work and how do i go ahead and meet that expectation right and be able to sort of meet them where they are and and, and train and develop them and and if i spend a lot of money on you know, a lot of a lot of energy hiding things or not disclosing things that's actually going to work against us and so being more transparent, we just sort of, now we can move on to growth and development, which then segments into what did Gen Z's think about career, career pathing and and the ladder? And you have different ways to look at it that, you know, when we think about entering the career and and professional services, you know, would be the focus here. What what did Gen Z's think about career and career pathing and laddering and all the things that Xers and boomers sort of grew up with? We could talk about this topic for an hour, for, for hours. I love helping companies redesign their, their career paths for Gen Zers, but the most simple way to depict this is instead of a ladder, Gen Z looks for a jungle gym. And what I mean by that, and I, of course, I illustrate this in the book, but I also give exercises for how companies can think about redesigning their career paths for native digitals, because this, this part, like if you get nothing else out of the book or this podcast, this is the key reason Gen Z will stay at your company is recognizing that the ladder doesn't work for us. So like you mentioned, obviously the ladder is, is an age old concept that most boomers and Xers were used to, right? You start at the bottom of rung, you have your four-year degree, and then you step up the ladder, whether it's, you know, if depending on your organization's growth uh, trajectory, you're usually having to push someone off the rung above you, or they have to retire, or, you know, a new office has to open before you can grow. That is not how Gen Z sees careers. of Gen Z wants to be an entrepreneur. That's insane. Over half of this generation wants to be an entrepreneur. Now, obviously, not all of those are going to follow through. The point being, the mindset we start with is, how can I acquire as many skills as possible on a lateral level, not a vertical one, a lateral level, so that I can exit corporate America as fast as possible? That's the mentality. So what I mean by a jungle gym is we might want to play a little bit on the monkey bars. We might want to play a little bit on the slide. We might want to go over and, you know, try out the, the, I don't know, the seesaw. Like we, we want to play around this jungle gym and acquire different skills that make us a more rounded person. So the path might look like this. If you're say a typical um, engineering firm, for example, instead of you know, your four-year college graduate starting as a, in, you know, entry-level engineer one, and then going engineer two, and then, you know, blah, 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 all the way up until maybe they're a principal at the firm. What you might have happen is your, your company decides we want to be a native digital employer, and we want to lead this space. So you decide, I'm going to hire 18-year-olds 
out of high school who have high potential, high aptitude. And I'm going to launch a certificate program where they shadow our project managers and engineers, and they learn the skill set necessary to be successful in our firm. They do that for two years. They start gain, you know, they have a paycheck. Then we send them back to school because, you know, perhaps there's certain technical skills, requirement certificates we can't offer. We pay for them to go back to school and acquire that degree or whatever it is while they're still working part-time for our company. Then they get back with their degree. They start, you know, they, they work as an engineer for a while. We cross train them in sales. And then maybe that person, say it's Peter, has an interest in mergers and acquisitions. You know, we've talked about expanding the company, but he has, he has a fascination for what would it look like if we, if we merged with this uh, XYZ company? So you pay for him to go back to school to get his master's or, you know, whatever program that ends up being a master's in mergers and acquisitions or partnerships, strategic partnerships then you bring Peter back in to your organization and promote him instead of just, you know, up the rung, you promote him as the director of MA and you send him out to, you know, where you're opening your new office and put him in charge of that whole project. So Peter's no longer an engineer. He's now the director of mergers and acquisitions. And he might even be willing while he's in school to step down a rank Maybe he's a, you know, coordinating some projects on the side while he's back in school. The point being the visual picture that I'm trying to portray is instead of the path being very linear, instead of it being, you do this, you bump up, you bump up, you bump up. Maybe you exit the firm, start on a new rung in a new company, keep climbing. Instead, the path looks far more like playing a little bit here, going back to school, playing a little bit there, joining a different division, completely changing your career path, maybe taking a stint as an entrepreneur for a couple of years, coming back to the company in a different division. There's so many different ways this can play out. And that's what leaders need to recognize, you know, especially heads of talent and HR, is that the opportunity for your native digital staff looks very, very different. And and what you can do to retain them looks very different than that traditional corporate ladder. Right. And, and, you know, innovation in the corporate ladder has become, it's a straight ladder until you hit maybe project manager level right before that. And either it's a wishbone now, like there's a ladder to the left, which is technical or a ladder to the right, which is management. And, you know, that, that's sort of the innovation, but you're saying a whole different, it's not even a ladder. It's we have to sort of engage and recognize that people have different skills and they want, which is a a whole mindset. I want to be respectful of your time. There's a couple of topics I really would love your perspective on. Um, One of them is into, you know, training and development pieces. Like how do we best engage, you know, training and development with, with Gen Z's and, you know, and it's, you know, the craving guidance, but not liking micromanagement and, you know, sort of detesting sink or swim or trial by fire, but really embracing processes and systems and wanting to check-ins or assuming that, you know, if, if you don't check in with me, I must be doing something wrong. Can you think about, you know, share about training and development? Yeah. Well, that's big question <laughs> for the last couple of minutes, but um, I'll address this in, in a more uh, ambiguous way, because I think it's important again, to understand mindset. So you said something just a second ago, which I do talk about a lot in the book, which is when it comes to feedback and helping Gen Z grow, if you're not checking in with 
your Gen Z employee and providing constructive feedback and positive encouragement on a daily, it, daily or weekly, depends on the Gen Z, but daily or weekly basis. The underlying assumption because of how exposed we've been to bullying online from a young age and, and, and being so out there as people from a young age, our expectation is that we are doing something wrong or incorrect if you don't say anything. There's a, we have an assumption, this is, this is the reason that Gen Z is statistically the most depressed and anxious generation that is currently alive. All of this comes back to the technology and the tools that influenced how we grew up, but it also comes into work. It, it, show, it rears its ugly head in how we need to be managed. So feedback is only one aspect, but if you look at the bigger picture, the best advice I can give to any manager who's, who is trying to understand Gen Z is if you think about how we grew up and, and, the, and what we're used to in terms of personalization of every good or commodity we consume, every experience we have in life, we're so used to being fed by personalized recommendations and personalized design that if you as a manager try to fit us into a cookie cutter mold, you're going to fail. You're, you're not gonna build trust with us. So the, the best short answer I can give to this is get to know your Gen Z staff as human, but also get to know us as a peer, not a direct report. And ask us, what do we need from you in terms of feedback? You know, what, what do we need from you in terms of coaching or support? And this is nothing new under the sun. I mean, we've been talking about this for decades with any human being having a, a personalized plan and approach. And, you know, we, we throw around, you know, you and I, Pete, and all the other consultants out there throw around all the lingo about, you know, building 90 day plans and having employees do it for themselves versus us telling them what to do and, you know, helping employees design their own experiences at work. But Gen Z takes that to a new level. And so the more personal you can be with us as a manager, the more you can get to know us deeply as people and ask us what we need and then make sure your actions align with that. If you ask us during a performance review or whatever you want to call it, if you ask us, how can we support, how can I as your manager support and coach you? And I say, I need feedback from you at least once a day, because otherwise my underlying assumption is I've made a mistake. And you say, I will absolutely do that for you. You know, can we make sure we touch base on Slack every day? And then you don't do that. Then you're, uh, you're, you're going to break trust with that employee. So be personal and be human. And, and that will go a long ways. Right. And, and trust is a huge component. Um, and we, you know, we did truly get through only half of what I wanted to talk to you about, but <laughs> maybe, and maybe this, this could be part one and we'll have part two. Um, but as, as we, and that's a great place to close with that individualized, you know, investment in employees as not a nice to have, but really a have to have, if you really want to engage um, and, 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 and retain Gen Z's. As we look to close at least this episode, anything else you'd like to share or add to encourage you know, firm leaders as it relates to you know, unlocking Gen Z talent that we haven't spoken yes. about? I would just say as, as a parting word, number one, 
if you want to engage native digitals, this is a very broad, sometimes hard to digest topic because and it can feel exhausting and I don't want it to come across that way. Um, I actually, Pete, I developed a, a quick pulse check for leaders, especially if, you know, if you're the CEO, you're a business owner and you rely on talent for your business to continue growing and succeeding, I would urge you to take this pulse check because it'll tell you what area you're succeeding in and which area you're having difficulty in, whether it's attracting, recruiting, retaining, or engaging native digitals based on your current, you know, policy and, and expectations at work. Um, so I actually developed that for this show and it's, you can just go to my website, go to hannahgwilliams.com forward slash actions for this podcast. And you can just go onto that link and take the pulse check and it'll help you build somewhat of a roadmap. So assess, you know, the, the questions it'll ask you are touching, you know, as, as much as it can in five minutes, but it touches different aspects of your business. And then we'll tell you which area you should probably focus on. So if you're, if you take this pulse check and, and retention comes back as a focal area, start asking questions about, you know, where in my business am I experiencing turnover and what are the root causes of that? And just start with those basics um, because that is ultimately where the opportunity will manifest itself. And you can start, you know, understanding what can I do as, as a company to better engage or retain um, native digitals. So um, my encouragement would be, you're not alone in, in this whatsoever. Every firm is dealing with some aspect of trying to figure out how do I adapt to change? So my encouragement to you would be, start small and start somewhere. Don't just assume that you can just ride the wave. Start somewhere, be proactive and think about what does the future hold and how can I be that company that is embracing the future of work. But start small, take one action um, and it'll pay dividends for you in the future. Right, and doing something different is a necessity because this is a very different generation for very specific reasons. How, how can folks, um, listeners get in touch with you, learn more about you, access the book, um, and, you know, be able to talk with you or, and I'll put a link to what you just shared in the show notes too, but any other ways that, um, you'd like folks to, um, reach out to you? Yes. Connect with me on my podcast. Come, come listen. It's called the native digital native analog show. You can check that out. Just it's on everywhere you get podcasts, Apple, Spotify, et cetera. Um, but head on over to my website. I mean, if you want to schedule a, a quick chat and talk to me about, you know, your business, uh, I'm an open book, as you can tell from from this show, and I'll give you no BS advice. Um, but yeah, head over to my website. It's hannahgwilliams.com. You can uh, contact me there. You can check out the podcast and get uh, get access to other resources. Excellent. Well, Hannah, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And I look forward to our continued discussions. Yeah. Same back to you, Pete. Thanks so much. Take care. Well, that's a wrap. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to and rate this podcast on iTunes or whatever platform you listen to the show from. There are links on my website and in the show notes to do so. And please also share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. It really helps to continue to get us established, and I truly appreciate that. And it also helps to get the word out to others so that together we can collectively grow and positively impact the lives of others, both inside and beyond our organizations. 
Thanks for joining us on today's episode of AEC Leadership Today. If you want to stay relevant and effective and take your growth and prosperity to new levels, it's time to take action. To learn more about how Pete can help take you and your firm to the next level, visit www.actionsprove.com. That's www.actionsprove.com. See you next time on the AEC Leadership Today podcast.